0: It was a morning like any other morning after a tragedy. Restless sleep, tossing and turning, and as a woman as a woman and in the first century, I definitely shed my my share of tears over this tragedy. Questions about how how will I go on? Questions about if I'll go on. And then I finally wake up and I, I realize I'm not going to get any more sleep tonight. I might as well go ahead and, and get up and face the day. Uh, the tragedy's over, but the ramifications are going to continue to just pile on. The, the questions in my mind are, are growing at insurmountable levels. I, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to be able to cope with all of this. Because when you lose a loved one, a close loved one, a really close loved one, you're not sure how you're going to react. I mean, you you hope that you know how you react. You think you know how you're going to react, but it's the morning after the tragedy, after the death, that's when things really start to fall into place and reality, reality kicks in. I loved him so much. The guy did so much for me. He really got me. He understood me. I mattered to him. And everyone else had pretty much written me off as a lost cause cuz you see in my in my town i was known as a well let's just say a woman of the night jesus didn't look at me like that on top of that he he cast out seven demons out of me i mean seriously seven demons I was appreciative, more than just appreciative. I tried to follow through on that appreciation, and I supported his ministry not only by serving him, but I also gave. I actually think I was probably a more faithful follower than his 12 boys club that he had. I was there when he died. The picture and I have the image of my half of, of, of Jesus Christ on that cross it's more gruesome than any horror movie you've ever seen, and that's just full of a bunch of CG. This was real, real life. It was awful. He he had a nice burial. I mean, at least he had a brand new tomb, so that was kind of cool. Nobody had ever been in that before. and the, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they, they, they had pretty freaked out about some rumors that they had heard about... Jesus getting away after this crucifixion. So they, they put this big, giant rock in front of his tomb like Jesus is going to go anywhere. But this morning, after my horrible night's sleep, I, I gathered some things to go to the tomb to kind of spruce things up a little bit. And sure enough, that rock was rolled away. It was, it was away. I, I couldn't believe it. I immediately went and told Peter and John. And Peter and John sprint to the the tomb. Of course, John got there first because Peter's not really an aerobic type of guy. (laughs) They went into the tomb. And I'm telling you, it's a real mess over here. The strips of linen where Jesus had laid, it, it, like, a, like a mummy, these strips of linen that went around his body and a special headdress that went around his head, it was still lying there, and the strips of linen were flat. It's like, it's like a balloon. that Jesus was a balloon that just popped and went, and it was just flat. And I thought, if somebody stole the body or even just took the body or, or whatever, why, why would they unwrap it all and take the body and wrap it back up? That's just gross. It doesn't make any sense. It's like Jesus, he just vanished. What am I supposed to do now? All I want to do is serve my Lord. Even in his death, all I want to do is serve him. I've got all these spices, and, and now he's gone. I, I can't find him. Peter and John ran off, probably to go tell the others, but I'm, I'm just going to stay here for a while. I'm just, I'm just broken hearted, you know? So yesterday was one of the worst days ever in the history of our people. You, you probably heard Jesus was crucified. I'm, I'm one of the 12 boys. Thomas is the name. It's ridiculous what happened to Jesus. They these trumped up charges that they, they put him in jail for. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not fair. I mean, seriously, I, I know a little bit about logic. I know a little bit about flow. I'm, I, I think things through, and I know what happened was, was not fair. It didn't go as it was supposed to go. It's nonsense, the whole thing. It should have never happened. I've questioned Jesus before. That's, not, that's, not, that's nothing new. I've questioned him. But he always seemed to pull through, right? Everything that Jesus did, it always ended up good. Now, with Jesus, it was never easy. But it always ended up good. But now what am I to think? Now what am I supposed to do? He was supposed to be our king. He was supposed to release us from all this nonsense around here. Now he's gone. He was my savior. He was my lord. He was my friend. And now I'm, I'm kind of doubting if he was any of those things. All right, the worst is behind us. That I've never experienced that kind of pain in my life. That whole crucifixion thing, it is indescribable. I'm Jesus, and I can't even describe the kind of pain that went on. And it wasn't just the pain of the cross, it was all the sin. <laughs> Think about it. When I went to the cross, I, pa- I died for all the past sin, all the present sin, and all the future sin, and we're living in that future sin, and you guys really know how to sin. There's a lot of it. Anyway, the worst is over because I died for it all. I took care of all the sin. I'm bringing good news to my followers. I can't, I can't wait to share it with them. Nobody's seen me yet, and, but it's true that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, and it's true that every single person can have eternal life and spend eternity in heaven with my Father if they just put their trust in me it, and the blood that I shed on that cross, but most importantly, the resurrection that, that just happened a bit ago <laughs> because I, I beat death and I beat sin and I beat the enemy. It just happened. There's Mary Magdalene. She's, she's really sweet. She's got such an incredible story. You, you should hear it. Not in church, but you should hear it over a glass of wine for sure. Wait, is that okay here? Um, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to her. She's gonna, oh, she's going to be so happy to see me. She was such a great supporter of my ministry. She really was. She's got such a kind heart. And I see, I see that she's crying. <laughs> Ever since she's met me, she's just been so much more sensitive. To get through all that she's gone through and then to follow me with the reckless abandon that she did, I'm going to go talk to her. In fact, she's going to be the very first person that sees me in my resurrected body. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Oh, oh, you must be the gardener. If you're the gardener, just please tell me where you put Jesus, wherever you put his body. I won't tell anybody. I promise. I promise you won't get any trouble. I just want to see him. I just want to serve him. Mary. Rabboni, which means teacher. Rabboni. Wait, wait, wait. Mary. The gardener? Really? A resurrected body? This is my brand new resurrected eternal body and you think I look like the gardener? Uh, Those tears must really be blurring your vision. She grabs a hold of Jesus. Jesus, I'm holding on to you, and I'm never letting go of you again. I'm always going to be with you. No, Mary, you need to go tell the boys I'm back. Okay, done with the role play. John chapter 20 is where we are in this I Matter series that we are going through. And in verse 19, the disciples are upstairs, not Thomas, but all the rest of the disciples are upstairs in a locked room, and they're probably pondering their next move. And I'm guessing that if you and I were in that same situation, we would be there trying to figure out as well, because they locked the doors in fear that the soldiers were going to come and take them too, just like they did Jesus with the torches and the weapons, and he's gone. They're thinking the same thing. Here's the thing. Here's what you need to understand. Fear can paralyze Christians when they focus on the world's power instead of God's power. Fear can paralyze you and me when we focus, not acknowledge, not understand it's there, but when we focus on the world's power instead of God's power. So the disciples, without doubting Thomas, who you just met while well ago, they're pretty dejected. And then Jesus, he either teleports into the room, or he walks through a wall, or he walks through the door, but he says, peace be with you, for the first time. I wonder how he said it. I wonder if it might have been that he kind of tiptoed in and went, peace be with you. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you're here. Who that's... I don't. I don't know. That's my Jesus. What he would do? Your Jesus would probably. Oh, peace be with you. And it doesn't matter. He shows up and he says, "Peace be with you." And and the people, the the disciples are are petrified, but super excited as well that he's really alive. Holy moly, he is really alive. It's all just playing out like it was supposed to. And Jesus says, peace be with you, again. And he says, as the Father God has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What a scene that must have been. I don't know whether he went, or whether he did something cooler, or whether whether he like, whatever he did. Can you imagine being in the room and getting it? Like being one of the twelve, and like or eleven at the time, boom! And so you got the Holy Spirit. It's a little different now, but uh, we'll talk about that at another time. He breathes on them, and Jesus empowers them, and says, "You're going to be my ambassadors until the Holy Spirit's going to arrive on the scene for everybody to be able to have this same Holy Spirit that you guys now have." And it's the jumpstart of the church. It's the jumpstart of planting churches, and that's where we pick up today's passage in John chapter twenty. If you have your Bibles, verse twenty-four. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, dude, that's not in the Greek, but it should be there, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, poor doubting Thomas has been just crushed by Christians and non-Christians alike over the last 2,000 years or so. But come on, put yourself in his shoes. This, this, he saw Jesus on the cross. He knew that he was dead. Everybody knew that he was dead. And now you're telling me the stones rolled away? I doubt it. It was a huge stone. And now you're telling me, oh, Jesus showed up and hung out with you guys yesterday in our room? Uh, I doubt it. You guys are punking me. You're just getting all together this story to make me look like an idiot. And I'm not going to be that guy. Unless I put my hand on his side, my finger in his wrist, I'm not going to believe it. I ain't picking up what you're putting down. I ain't smelling what you're stepping in. It's not going to happen. And I think Thomas, in my opinion, is more of a realist than he is a doubter. Maybe a little of both there. I I may be cutting lines too closely. But he evaluated situations based on what he could see. It was logic. Look at his pedigree, John chapter 11. He understood the dangers of going south to Judea, but he was also willing to risk it and go with him. John chapter 14. He needed more than words to follow Jesus to his place of preparation. But he he will do it. He He needs some evidence. He needs some logic to go behind it. Doubts aren't the problem. It's finding peace in the midst of the doubts that allow us to push through the doubts and beyond. Doubts aren't a problem. Thomas gives us a a typical Christian paradigm of probably where all of us have been at one time or another, and he also gives us the first fact of finding peace in the midst of our doubts, and it's up on the screen, and it's this. Number one, I just got two points for you. Believers are capable of great possibilities as well as hesitations in the faith. We can accomplish some really great things, but a lot of times we, (laughs) whoa, and we pull on the reins, and we slow things down, and we hesitate. It's our natural inclination to demand proof when we see sensational facts. And Jesus rising from the dead was a pretty sensational fact. We're not supposed to check our brains in at the door when we walk into the church or when we accept Christ. We're like, oh, do, do, do. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to have any more logic anymore. I'm not going to have any more brains. I'm, I can't think scientifically anymore because I'm a Christian. That's not true at all. Thomas simply needed the same evidence that the other Yahoos had. They got to hang out with Jesus. All right, well, I want to hang out with him too. Believers should actually be thank, thanking God that he put Thomas in the book. So that some of us that have that more logical standpoint, yeah, it's more of a realistic situation. But here's your message in a tweet. This is your sermon and sentence. This is what you put on Pinterest, on Facebook, on Instagram or Twitter, whatever it is. Post it. If you haven't checked in on Facebook, do that now. Doubting is a part of the process of following Christ. Doubting is a part of the process of following Christ. Doubting is not a problem. It's a process of following Christ. Your doubts matter to God because you matter to God. Look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So now now they got all the boys together. and Thomas is there. But but get what's happening. Though the doors were locked, same scenario a week later. They're still in there, locked doors. What are we going to do? Jesus came and stood among them and said, What? Peace be with you. I wonder if he did it again. And the other 11 are going, nah, you ain't getting that twice, Jesus. We knew this was coming. Either way, verse 27, Peter said to Thomas, like just went straight for the jugular, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I wonder if he said that compassionately. I wonder if he said that a little sarcastically. I wonder, I don't know. I don't know how he said it. However he said it was perfect. But I still wonder what it was. I think Jesus has got a lot more personality than we give him credit for. Thomas said to him in verse 28, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. It, It is this authentic belief. It is this faith belief. Faith belief that's at issue in this story. And I think it's also at issue today in this world. It's authentic belief. Verse 28, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, which brings the, the full gospel right back to where it started in John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says the word was God, and the word was blah, blah, blah. It's Jesus is the word, and Jesus is God, chapter 1, verse 1, and it ends here in 2028, and it says a whole bunch of stuff about Jesus in between it. Let me rattle off just a few of it. Jesus is active in creation. The word became incarnate and flesh. Jesus is a sin-bearing lamb, the Messiah, Son of God, King of Israel, that's just chapter one. Jesus is the new temple, teacher sent from God, new symbol of God's power exhibited through Moses, the evidence of the love of God, Savior of the world, equal with God, authority and judgment, agent of God, fulfillment of Scripture, expected prophet. Jesus is I am. That's through chapter six. We keep going. The supplier of living water, the one from God, the Son of Man, the consecrated Holy One. Jesus is the lifted up one, the glorified one, preparer of His followers' destiny. Jesus is the non-abandoning one. Jesus is the one in whom we must abide and who is the basis for our fruitfulness. Jesus is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the bearer of truth, the crucified king, the risen Lord. Jesus is God, John chapter 20, verse 28. It's like he bookends right here. Now, we still got to get to 21 next week. But it's like this is a great culmination of stamping. Jesus is God, Jesus is God, and he's everything in between. And that brings us to the second fact in finding peace in the midst of doubt, and that's authentic believers allow Jesus' authority to trump their doubt. No political pun intended. Maybe a little. Auth- you could, I'll give you another word. Jesus's believers Jesus- authentic believers allow Jesus' authority to override their doubt. Don't want to cause you to stumble here or, or, or a fight. Doubting is a part of the process of following Christ. Doubting is a part of the process of following Christ. It happens even with some of our heroes of the faith. Most all of you have heard of Billy Graham. Most people don't know. Billy Graham almost quit being an evangelist in his early 30s. He had just had a flop of an evangelistic tour in Altoona, Pennsylvania, wherever that is. And uh, it didn't go well, and, and Billy had been questioning his, his calling. He had been questioning a lot of things in the Bible. Several of his friends and buddies were, were giving all kinds of questions to him that he, he just couldn't answer. And so he was seriously going to quit until this life-changing moment at a tree stump at a California woods retreat center called Forest Home. God's power met Billy in that woods gave him the courage to allow Jesus' authority to trump his doubt. This is taken from BillyGraham.org, and this is Billy's words, Billy crying out. They've quoted it there on that website. Here's what he said at that tree stump with the Bible sitting on that tree stump. Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck and others are raising. And then he fell to his knees, and the Holy Spirit moved in him as he said, and he's looking at his Bible on this tree stump on his knees, he says this, Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond My intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this to be your inspired word. Billy Graham. Here's the thing. He didn't check his brains in at the door. He didn't just shut off all intellectual things and go, Well, I'm a Christian, so now I just have to believe whatever my parents believe." No, he wrestled with it. He wrestled with it. And he had to get to a point where there was faith involved. Faith is being confident of those things you do not see very well. Or at all. We have to come to a point where faith is actually faith. Otherwise, it's just logic. And I'm not putting my faith in logic. Because things don't make sense when it comes to God. For those of you who are doubting, you're in a judge-free zone here. No judgment on those who doubt. Doubting is a part of the process of following Christ. But we've got to overcome our doubt. Eventually with the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus challenged Thomas, it's a blessing when those who haven't seen put their trust in their faith. That's that's real faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. First Peter 1, 8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, I put it on the screen. Seeing is believing, but trusting is a blessing. There's another message in a tweet right there. Seeing is believing, but trusting is a blessing. It's easy to to believe what you clearly see, but again, without checking your brains in at the door, if we don't begin to trust in some things that we can't see, then we're really not living by faith. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is sovereign. And he's here to bring peace in the midst of your doubts. Your doubts matter. Your doubts matter. But his authority and his power must eventually override those doubts. You've got to push through them. Look at verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these ones that are recorded, are written... That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus had such an impact in his ministry. And he did so much that's not even on record. I imagine all the amazing miracles and signs and wonders that he did. But these miracles, these signs, these wonders, these acts, these activities were recorded so that people would believe. Because when you authentically believe in faith, man, that's real life. Maybe you're doubting him today, though. Maybe you're doubting what he's doing. Or maybe you're doubting what he's not doing. What he's not doing in your life. What he's not doing for you. But you've got doubts. You've got real doubts. Your doubts matter. No question. But your doubts, you have to understand, your doubts also distract your doubts frustrate and your doubts can even hinder your walk with Christ if they're not processed through, if you can't find some peace in the midst of those doubts. Doubts are fine. They're a part of the process, but they're also dangerous. Here's the challenge for you, especially for believers. I want you to listen to this. Thomas made demand for a proof. I won't, I won't believe until I put my... Finger and his wrist and his hand and his side. I don't really believe that he thought that would actually happen, and Jesus would show up and he'd be able to do that. It's a lot like you might remember Peter when he got put into jail, and the church was praying fervently for him to be released from jail. And supernaturally, he gets released from jail, knocks on the door so he can get in, and a little girl answer, answer goes, "Oh." Peter's at the door, she runs, tells the prayer partners that are all there praying for his release, hey, Peter's at the door, and they look at the little girl and go, you're out of your mind. Hope that prayer partners aren't like that way here, that they actually believe that God's going to do. See, they didn't really believe. Like, they're praying really hard for Peter. They're praying intensely. They're praying passionately and boldly for Peter's release from prison. It's not right. Bang, God answers their prayers at the door. You're out of your mind. It ain't going to happen. So we, we pray, we pray these big prayers, these wishful prayers, and then we doubt anything's going to happen. My wife and I, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, got to sit underneath a teacher by the name of Curtis Sargent. Curtis Sargent is a guy you probably don't know, and he's probably the most influential person in the world today. He is a church planting trainer. He trains people to start movements. He trains them how to do church all around the globe. He has, under his downline, so to speak, of people he's trained and who they've trained, two million plus churches. Two million churches have been planted because of his leadership and influence. This is a guy I'm glad to sit under for a week. So we're sitting listening to his stories. And he, he did most of his work overseas, just all around the world. And he was talking. He, he had a very busy schedule, and he got to meet with one of the, the representatives of this big movement. And he's meeting with him. He's only got this hour, and there's no other way he's going to be able to meet with him for months from here on out. And they sit down, they begin their meeting, and one of this guy, he's discipling, he's coaching, a guy comes in and says, two of your, your church planters have just been martyred. And so the guy stands up and he says, I need to go. And Curtis is like, well, I, I understand well, You know, we need to arrange for meals and caring for that, that group of people and the, the, the two people that have been martyred and their churches and get leaders in place. I understand, that, but can't we just finish this and, and you do that? And he goes, no, I need to go now. He goes, why, do you, why are you in such a hurry to go? I need to see if Jesus wants to raise him from the dead. Like that's just, the, it's God, right? And hey, before you get all like, well, that's ridiculous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Christian theme is, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Yeah, that's our Jesus. That's my Jesus. Well, if that's your Jesus, he raised some dead. And he did a whole lot more that we don't even know about. And so here's this guy that has this faith in that Jesus, and he really believes, hey, I'm not saying I'm going to go raise the dead. He said, I'm going to go see if Jesus wants to raise the dead. I just need to be there, especially before the body starts to to decompose. Curtis, who's this guy with two million churches under him, who's thinking, of course you should go do that. (laughs) Wasn't the first thing off of my deal, you know. I'm thinking we probably ought to finish our meeting and then uh, go care for the people. Do we really believe? Do we really believe that God can do what he says he's going to do? Does he really answer prayer? Hey, you may pray, God, I have doubts, I need some help. Do you really think God's going to help you with the doubts? Here's here's what what I'll give you, a resource, a tool to be able to do this. The next time that you're doubting something, the next time you're doubting something, whatever it is, could you immediately go to God in prayer? Immediately to go to God in prayer. Before you talk to anybody, before you think about it, when you have a doubt that pops into your head, that you would immediately go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm doubting here. And like Peter and his prayer team, not Peter, but his prayer team, and like Thomas... I believe you can take care of this and fix this or whatever it is. Help me to believe you actually will. I know that you can. I'm just not positive you will. I'm going through this right now because as of January 1 of this coming year in 2017, I will be a full time missionary. I'll have to raise all my outside support for me and my benefits and everything else. Scared to death. Way too old to start this kind of thing. And I don't live like a missionary. But I am going to be a missionary online and doing different things and planting churches. So, So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know God can take care of money. My goodness, he could just have somebody write a check and the next 10 years are paid for. Boom. Done. Instantly. Over. Easy. I know God can do it. I need him to really help me believe that he will. Because here's what I fear and what I doubt. I doubt he will do, do it in a way that's logical. I think he'll do it in a way that makes me squirm and makes me mad and makes me stressed. And it'll be the day before payroll, a check will come in for just enough. I know he can. Help me. Say you will let me believe you will. That's, that's what I have for you. Believers are capable of great possibilities, but there also some serious hesitations in the faith. Jesus' authority overrides those doubts. Let's pray more wishful prayers, maybe even some pie-in-the-sky prayers about our circumstances, but then let's not be wishful about it. Let's be confident. Because our God is gigantic, and Jesus is God. And he cares about you because you matter, and your doubts matter, and your faith matters. Let's pray. Father, help us, help us with every head bowed and every eye closed to follow you with all of our hearts. And if there's somebody here that's never put their faith in you, if there's somebody here this morning, maybe just a few, that have never made you Lord, they've never made you Savior, they've never made you boss, they've never made you the CEO, they've never been baptized, they've never followed through in their faith, they just... They just kind of believe in God. If there's somebody here right now, if I'm, if I'm speaking to you and you're going, you know what, that's the Jesus I want to follow. That's the powerful God I want in my life. That's the gracious God that I want in my life. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, and today you want to do that for the very first time, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come forward. I just want to acknowledge that you're here, and I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up and keep it up real high for just a second that so I can acknowledge you, and then I can pray for you. Father, it, it seems that there's at least one or two here, and by some facial expressions, I can see that you, you are doing a work here among us. And so I pray, God, that you would help us in our doubts. Whether they are doubts about Jesus, doubts about our faith, doubts about our marriage, doubts about our kids, doubts about our parents, doubts about eternal life. We could list a whole host of things, of things that we doubt. Doctrinal things, is there a hell? Political things, is this or that right or wrong? God, we're full of doubts. Doubts is a part of the process of following Christ. But help us eventually get to the point where we've got to live by faith. We have to let your authority, God, through the person of your son, Jesus Christ, it has to override our doubts eventually. Otherwise, we get frustrated and even our faith can begin to all apart may we the next time we doubt about anything immediately go to you immediately go to you and acknowledge the doubt but also acknowledge you can fix it and we believe you will fix it and we trust that even though that may look different we know you're eventually going to do good it will end up okay never easy but it'll be okay. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.